From the Cut and Gimlet Media, this is The Cut on Tuesdays. I'm your host, Molly Fisher. Walking around listening to a podcast gives you a strange relationship to the voice in your headphones. It's like you've got an imaginary friend. And probably no one knows this better than Sarah Koenig. For a lot of people, millions of people, she was their first imaginary podcast friend. Sarah's the host and co-creator of Serial, the show that made podcasts a cultural phenomenon. It debuted in 2014, and over the three seasons they've released since then, it's been downloaded more than 420 million times. Which means that the very existence of a show like ours owes something to Sarah's success. She's the one who showed that there was an audience out there waiting to listen. But even setting aside those numbers, Sarah's just really good at what she does. She knows what makes a good story, and she knows how to tell it so that people pay attention. Since I am still learning the ropes of the exact things she does so well, she seemed like the perfect person to ask. How do you get it done? So I called Sarah up last week, and I started by telling her a little bit about the cut column, How I Get It Done. Basically, it's our excuse to ask women we admire about how they do the work they do, how they manage their time, how they manage their email, how they commute, how they deal with colleagues, how they take care of chores, how they balance all their relationships between work and friends and family and kids. Oh, my God. (laughs) Too much. (laughs) I mean, it's like you just described, like, my whole life and every anxiety and insecurity I've ever had. But sure, go ahead. Wonderful. Happy to to discuss. (laughs) Well, so, I mean, to start with that on the most basic nuts and bolts level, imagine you're in the thick of producing a season of cereal. Like, what time do you wake up? When we're in production, like, my whole life changes and it's it's frankly kind of awful, um, especially as we move. Like, it starts out sort of sane, and then as we, you know, as we move forward toward our finish line, it gets crazier and crazier. So if I'm behind, I'm getting up at mm, 6 o'clock, probably trying to write before even the kids go off to school. Um, if I can't drag my ass out of bed in time, then I'm getting up, you know, probably 7 or 7.30, I'm continually shocked at my own time mismanagement and my own, not even my own time mismanagement, there is that, is my own wildly inaccurate estimations of how long something takes to do. Yes, like, I have I've this problem too. I've been doing this a long time. I know, I'm almost 50 <laughs> and you're, I've been doing this a long time and I'm still like, oh yeah, that'll take a day. <laughs> I found it hugely encouraging to learn that someone as successful as Sarah Koenig also has a broken brain when it comes to time management. It's a real day-to-day challenge, even when you've got a partner who helps you get everything done. Sarah's husband is a professor at Penn State, and they share the work that comes with raising their two kids, which mostly works out pretty well. A lot of our resentment toward one another comes out in these, like, weirdly, aggressively competitive petty declarations of what we've done. Mm. So it'll be like, I called the doctor um, and made the appointment. And you're like, why are you saying it in that tone? <laughs> or I'll be like, um, 
I did all the laundry. Did you see? <laughs> it's a cold war of time management, of, of sort of like whose time is more valuable, mm-hmm. who's, you know, who is actually carving out time for the family and the domestic situation and who isn't. And he, I have to say, like, he was quite magnificent during this past season where I just announced, like, assume I'm not available for anything for mm-hmm. the next, like, three or four months. Just assume I cannot do it. Like, you are it. Yeah. And dude has a job. Like, it's not like he has no life. Like, He's not just hanging out. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he and he was like, check. We're getting better at it, but it's still not, you know, fully fine. It's so hard. You know. Well, how would you manage that during previous seasons of the show when your schedule kind of shifted or evolved? So the first season, right, we had no idea what we were getting into. And I was working at home then in my basement. Like, we made a little studio out of my basement. And so I was home all the time, but not home, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I would sort of, like, crawl up like a troll person from the basement every so often and be like, I'm hungry, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> While Sarah was holed up in her basement cave making that first season, millions of listeners had burrowed into their own online research and were trying to solve the mystery alongside her. And you could tell what drew them in. When you listen to the show, you can hear Sarah and her colleagues working through their own doubts and suspicions together. It's very human and very much a team effort. Out of all the people working alongside Sarah, though, one really stands out. Julie Snyder. She's Serial's co-creator and executive producer. Sarah and Julie have the kind of relationship that most people are only dreaming of when they call someone their work wife. They're total collaborators. And with Serial... They created something together that couldn't exist without either one of them. They first met in 2004, when Sarah joined the staff of This American Life, where Julie was a senior producer. I guess I can say this out loud. This is my opinion. Everybody wants to work with Julie. Mm. Like, she's the best editor, like, ever, right? So everybody wants to work with Julie, and I had, um, we got along well, and I don't know. She's just the main person for everyone. Like, people, honestly, if you're in Julie's office talking to her, you'll see, like, Easily at least three people sort of walk by and peer in to be like, can I be next? Can I be next? You know what I mean? The queue like, forms. Uh, uh, mine, mine, mine. I, I, I have the chair. Okay, you know? We understand each other's rhythm in the way that we work, and we understand each other's sort of editorial language and the way that we talk about stories. Like, if we'll say, I don't know, this seems kind of level one, but I'm just going to throw it out. <laughs> And I know exactly what she means by level one, which is like, this is the dumbest version of this idea. And even though it sounds profound, we need to step back and be like, wait, are we saying anything you haven't heard a thousand times before? And also having been formed by each other's taste and me much more influenced, I think, by Julie than the other way around. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, no, she's definitely like the alpha for sure. (laughs) Yeah, like, it's like, there's no question. <laughs> How did she form your taste? Or like, what do you feel like she influenced in your taste? I go for the more, to use an inside term, I've just explained, level one tape uh-huh. occasionally. Like, I'll go for the more standard um, speechifying that is meant to be emotional or evoke emotion. And and I'll think it's like my money shot. You know, I'll be like, wait till you hear this. Like, And she'll be like... Oh, yeah, I think kill it. And I'll be like, wait, what? You know? And she's what? just like, it sounds like blah, blah. This, this, is, this is the other thing we say a lot. It sounds like blah, blah, which is like, it's the thing I'm expecting him to say in this moment. 
it's like it's too nail on the head. It's making me lose focus. It's making me not like him so much. It's making me think you're a cheese ball. Kill it. Yeah. And I'll be like, you don't understand my art, you know. But she always wins. And I will relent. Maybe not initially. I'll be like, well, I'm going to hold on to it for the second minute. Let's just <laughs> we'll just wait and see. We'll just you know, wait something and see. like that. Yeah. And then eventually, like, uh, inevitably it gets killed. Mm. But I always, I have to say, this thing happens, and I try to look at it in a sort of magical way. I hear the story differently after it's done mm-hmm. and say I wait three weeks, six weeks, a year and listen to it. And then I'm like, oh, that's what the story was about. Mm. Like, I can't hear it for what it is until it's very much out of my hands, yeah. which is kind of terrifying, but it also makes me, I've learned, therefore, to really, really trust my colleagues, that that's why I always ultimately give in to Julia, because I'm like, I know you're right, and I just have to trust that, like, I'll come out of this blizzard and be like, oh, yes, the clarity that you saw, like, nine weeks ago, I now see. <gasps> I can share it eventually. Well, it's such a gift kind of or such a lucky amazing thing to have a collaborator who you can trust to have really high standards in that way like to be working with someone who you feel like expects things to work at a very high level you know I think that pushes you much harder inevitably yeah yeah no it's great I mean I don't exist like serial definitely doesn't exist without like we both I like it's not as if I bring nothing to the table. Like I, I have certain skills. <laughs> like, I can do stuff. That's the pull quote I, for I, this I interview. Skills. Sarah Koenig, I have certain skills. <laughs> <laughs> There's some stuff I'm pretty good at, you know. But I do I do very much recognize like there is an alchemy to the way that I work with Julie. It is like a true, true collaboration where I just can't do that as well without her input, without her partnership. When she was starting out in journalism, Sarah was a print reporter. She worked at places like the Baltimore Sun and the New York Times. That's what she was doing when she first started contributing to This American Life as a freelancer. And the way the team at This American Life worked was something totally new to her. Probably the biggest reason I went to This American Life is because of that process, of going through that edit process. And I, my mind was blown. I had never experienced anything like that. Um, what do you mean? Just the, you know, the utter ripping apart of your first draft and just kind of starting over and how bossy and utterly in charge the producer was. I mean, I had never done radio, right? So Uh that is that's how it should be. Like the producer should be like, oh, no, here's what we're doing. Don't like you shut up and sit there. Like that's, uh, you know, not entirely how it worked, but kind (laughs) of. I was initially sort of um, affronted by that. You know, like, well, how dare you? <laughs> I'm a reporter, my... yeah. <laughs> yes, you don't understand me. And, and um, but then I, like, totally submitted, you know. And so just the smarts and creativity and, frankly, like, the joy and the giggling that went on in these edits. You know, I was used to, you have your beat, you write your story, you go out by yourself and you talk to whoever you need to talk to for the quotes that you need and the information that you need. You write it up, you hand it to the editor, the editor sort of somberly gives you back a thing, asks you a few questions, it's in the newspaper the next day, you're done and you start over again. Like, it was it was not fun. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, sometimes, sometimes, but it wasn't, it wasn't like a team is coming together to make the best possible version, the most interesting, most entertaining, most informative, most joyful thing that it can be. 
And if you want to, like, tell a side story and make everybody on the phone laugh for three seconds, it's fine. It was just a new world for me. And I was like, I want to work there. (laughs) The thing is built as a cooperative organism. And that's what I loved um, about working there and what I love about Serial, too. Like, I don't want to work on my own I mean, sometimes, but not, you know, I, I'm i like a theater nerd at heart. I'm sort of a ham, and I used to do improv comedy, and like, I like putting on a show with a group of people. Like, that's what I like. But I, it never occurred to me that I would host my own thing um, until Julie said it. She sat in on an interview I did, and I remember afterwards she kind of squinted at me, and she was like, I have an idea for you few weeks later, it could have even been months later, she was like, I think you should host your own show. I think we should make a new show for you. And I was like, what? And she was like, I like listening to you interview people. I think you could do it. And I was like, okay. And I just, I didn't, um, it honestly had never occurred to me. Looking back from the vantage point of 2019, this sounds somewhat crazy. The podcast transformed her into a kind of celebrity. There was a Sarah Koenig parody on Saturday Night Live. But at the beginning, She wasn't totally comfortable making herself a character in the story she was telling. I'm a pretty traditional reporter in that way, where it's like, not about me, it doesn't matter what I think. And I remember Julie and and Ira, too, both kind of being like, this isn't going to work unless you take us by the hand more. Like, it's just, I'm bored. Like, you're boring me. (laughs) And it's funny, it's like, in some ways, I feel like my whole career in the last six to ten years, it's like, you're just trying not to bore Julie. Like that. (laughs) You know what I mean? You know, so you're just like, is is she going to think this is boring? I I probably ask myself that like seven times a day. It's a funny, it's a funny journalistic standard. Am I boring Julie? After the break, Sarah tells us about her fears. And Julie, if you're listening... We hope very much that we're not boring you. Welcome back. This week, we're talking to Sarah Koenig, the host and co-creator of Serial, about how she gets it done. And one of the ways Sarah gets it done is by not using social media at all. It's not a natural, like, I would have to learn how to use it, you know, like, for one thing. And I just feel like, oh. And then um, I feel like anything that I have to say, I'm saying it in my story. It's not like I don't have a a platform, you know, (laughs) to talk about the things that are interesting to me. So I feel like I don't, I'm good. I don't need, I don't need to do it more. And the really main reason, though, is I'm such a time waster and a procrastinator that I I just know it would be a massive time suck. How do you procrastinate? Um, I'm pretty... uh, the gentle word, I think, would be, like, compulsive about um, tidiness and order mm. at home. And so I will, like, fix the thing that needs fixing, and I'll scrub the thing, and I will rearrange the whatever, and I will endlessly do stuff like that rather than <laughs> my work. So that's <laughs> what I do. I also, especially this past season, I got really sucked into crossword puzzles. Oh. 
which I really enjoy in the same compulsive way of like, I completed a thing and I solved it. The task has been finished by me. (laughs) Yes. So there's that satisfaction. And there's also the like, I'm a smarty pants. I I figured (laughs) it out. So I got into the New York Times Sunday crossword. Mm -hmm. And yeah, boy, I really, don't tell Julie, I really really wasted a bunch of hours. You could have had an additional Um, season if you had not been doing the Sunday crossword. Kind of, kind of. (laughs) To like sort of zoom out and hit you from a totally different direction, um, what are you scared of in your work? Getting something wrong. I, I really live in fear of of an error, not only a factual error. I mean, whatever small errors those happen. I'm not. I don't like fret so so much over those. Although I hate to make them. I think we made one factual error in all of season three that we corrected immediately. But it was I called something the cooking channel, and in fact, it was the food network. <laughs> so I feel like. That was a bummer. We had to make a correction. But, like, in the grand scheme of things, I feel pretty good. Yeah, if there was anything you were going to mess up in that season, that seems like it's pretty safe. (laughs) So things like that, like, whatever, I'm not going to lose sleep. But more just, like, am I seeing all of the angles of how this thing could go wrong for the person I am representing Mm -hmm. here? You know, the response to season one was so overwhelming, um, and a segment of it was very difficult insofar as people began, listeners began speculating publicly about people in the stories and um, where we had tried to keep people anonymous or protect them in some way. Like, that was just all blown to bits on the internet, Mm -hmm. where it was like, photographs of people are appearing and people's addresses and their last names and their criminal history. I mean, it was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, I and I felt a lot of anxiety and upset about that. I just, I felt responsible. The experience of making cereal really has given me such a deep and profound respect for that duty that I have to protect people and their stories. I don't mean protect them from, like, the truth or whatever, but... but Be responsible. It's like kind of a, yes, yes. Like, it's kind of a sacred thing. Like, even though you're talking into the microphone, like, you know, you're controlling the words that you say, whatever. Ultimately, I am entirely in charge. And so you are throwing yourself at my mercy and, and trusting me in, like, a way that I would never trust somebody. Like, I, it's just, it's really a big, big deal what people are giving to you, giving to me. That scares me, that I will screw that up in some way, that I will hurt someone I didn't mean to hurt. Mm-hmm. I fear that. <laughs> How do you manage that fear? I check and double-check and triple-check with people. I'll go back to them and be like, I'm going to say this thing. I want to be clear. You're comfortable with this. I can say this on the record. You know, I will ask mm-hmm. them. And very often, as you know, making season three, again, when it was private people, even sometimes when people said it was okay, I was just like, I think you don't know what you're getting really? into, and I'm just going to leave your name out of it. Yes, yes. Like, I happen to know you have a warrant out for your arrest. You don't know this. I'm going to tell you right now you have a warrant out for your arrest. Does that change your willingness to be part of this story? Let me think about it. No, I think I'm okay. And I'm going to be like, no, you're not. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you're not. You're not. Yeah. And then personally, I think what scares me is, like, I worry about looking back and thinking I work too hard. Hmm. 
and I should have, I had young kids, did I sacrifice time with, too much time with my kids? Um, How old are your kids now? They are 15 and 12. Intense ages. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's I, it's funny now. I feel like I'm I really do try to like I we live in a very small town. My office is walking distance from home. Their school is walking distance. I can see their school building from like where I'm sitting now, basically. So I am I am sort of available in a logistical yeah. way, but I'm not always, you know, mentally available to them. And and I'm aware of that. And I, you know, have all kinds of parental guilt about that. Um that, you know, they'll be on their therapist couches 10 years from now being like, my mother was in the basement and she didn't come up for dinner. You know? <laughs> I was having a crisis and she told me to be quiet. <laughs> what do they make of your work? Like, do they view you as having a cool career or are they like mystified by it? I think they think it's cool. They're proud of me. I think they're proud That's of me. That's nice. Sometimes I bring them, like, I, if I go do an event or a speech or something, um, a, a, a few times I've brought them. And usually it's out of necessity. Like, I have nowhere to put them, so I'm like, you're coming <laughs> with me. Um, but it's also a more um, self-serving thing of, like, you're going to see a whole audience of people is going to clap when I walk on stage. <laughs> I want you to see that somebody respects me. Somebody thinks I'm good. I appreciate it. You're going to learn a thing or two. <laughs> I have to say it works. Yeah. They're very nice to me afterward. That's a great parental life hack. You just need like a cheering auditorium to convince your children you're an authority <laughs> <Exactly>. figure. <laughs> I mean, this is a much different scale of worry, but I have been told also that you are afraid of flying. Is that correct? Oh, I'm so much better. Yeah? Now. I'm so much better. About, yeah, I used to be terrified of flying. Um, How did you become unafraid? I remember one of the most useful things anyone ever said to me that really, really did help. I mean, it took a long time for it to help, but it did help was something Ira said to me. We were talking about it one time, and he was like, what are you afraid of? And I was like, I'm afraid I'm going to die, dude. <laughs> Get it together. I'm afraid of dying. <laughs> and he was like, wait, you think just because you're on an airplane, it's going to—what are you, a megalomaniac? And I was like, I don't think so. Of all the flights, so what's your problem? if I'm on it, it will be the one that crashes. Right. Yeah. Like, somehow you're important. Yeah. And I had never thought of it in those terms. And I was like, oh. Huh. Right. Yeah. I'm nothing. I'm like a worm. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether I'm on the flight or Ira, not. Ira, you've helped me understand that truly I am a worm. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's useful in all kinds of ways. <laughs> well, so one question that we like to ask everyone we talk to for these is, what advice would you give your younger self if you could? Oh, my God. I feel like I wasted a lot of time on um, jealousy, you know, in this kind of smiling, gritted teeth way of just like, oh, you got that in? Oh, mm -hmm. is that, you're going to be on the front page? Oh, <laughs> God, that's great. Um, but feeling very much like, I got to be, you know, I want the front page thing. I. And that is such a waste of energy. Yeah. And feeling gross about myself, too. Just like, what's wrong with me? Like, why am I begrudging other people's success? Like, that's just awful. And so to let go of that, I definitely had that the thing I think we all have, but maybe especially women have, a, a kind of imposter complex or whatever, like a fraud. Comp like, I, like, I'm pretending I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And nobody knows that I don't know. Everybody thinks I know. <laughs> that I didn't deserve any of the opportunities I was given and I didn't um, 
ever know what I was talking mm-hmm. about or I had no skill. And um, and understanding now, everyone's faking yeah. it. Everyone's faking None of us knows what we're doing. That is the human condition. Yeah. Like, we're just kind of making it all up, and and that's fine. That's fine. But, like, because you don't have a feeling of mastery, like, walking through the world every day, that's not failure. That's, like, life. That's it for this week's show. We'll see you next Tuesday. On an upcoming episode, we are going to be talking about email. And we want to hear from you. Not over email, but over voicemail. Give us a call and tell us all about your email habits and anxieties. Are you good at email? Are you bad at email? What stresses you out the most about email? What things are other people doing that drive you most insane? What's the worst thing that's happened in your inbox? And do you have any personal rules or tricks that help you keep it under control? Tell us all about it. Call us at 920 968-3341. Again, 920-368-3341. And tell us about your email. The Cut on Tuesdays is produced by Sarah McVie, Olivia Natt, and Peter Bresnan. Our senior producer is Kimmy Regler. We're edited by Stella Bugby, Nazanin Rafsanjani, and Alex Bloomberg, who, under pressure, could not name a Nancy Myers movie. Music and mixing are by Haley Shaw. Our theme song is Play It Right by Amelia Meath, Nick Sanborn, Molly Sarley, and Alexandra Sauser-Monig. Cut on Tuesdays is a production of Gimlet Media and The Cut. <laughs>